Welcome to the Salted Carmel podcast from Our Lady of Mount Carmel. This is a podcast where we get to share individual faith stories of our parishioners out into the whole world. My name's David Cook. I'm the stewardship director here at Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And with me is the always sincere Jody Curtis. Jody, who's our guest today? Our guest today is Rex Rund. Rex, we are so excited to have you on the show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at Our Lady? Well, I've been uh, Director of Music and Liturgy at Our Lady since 1997, so 23 plus years. And before that, I'm originally from a pig farm in Illinois, in central Illinois. Along the way was a seminarian at St. Meinrad for a couple of years, and then I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Haiti, lived in Haiti almost three years, married my lovely wife, Kathy, and we moved to Austria for seven years. Wow. Where she was an opera singer, and I taught uh, in international schools. And then the Lord brought us back to the Midwest, and I'm very delighted to say that he brought us to Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And here I am. Wow, that's a very expansive roadmap. Rex, what was your life like before you had a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not just before you knew the faith, but before you had a a personal relationship. Yeah, I had a a very strong Catholic upbringing in a little uh, German Catholic parish in Illinois. It was all farm families, 39 families, every single one of them with a German last name. I had nine brothers and sisters, and we were always at church and always at mass and always in the choir. And, uh, but I, I would say, I, I think that had a, a much deeper root in me than I knew at the time. I kind of went through high school being involved in the church and going through all the motions, but not necessarily a very deep faith, or at least I didn't realize it at the time. Then it was actually after I moved away from home, I did, it took a gap year between high school and college and I worked, uh, I had political ambitions and I worked in the state house in Springfield as a page to kind of see what government was like. And much to my own surprise, I started going to daily mass at St. Agnes Church right across the street from the Capitol building. That's why I'd go to mass every morning on my way into the Capitol. And one morning, it was February, and it was early in ordinary time when the readings at the weekday masses, it always goes through this cycle of Jesus calling the apostles. And I heard the reading where Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I had heard that dozens of times before, if not hundreds, but this time it just, it just hit me right in the chest and would not let me go. And I, I, Every day at Mass, something would hit me again with the follow, call of the disciples and following, following Jesus. And at that time, I, I, I thought that that meant for me a vocation to the priesthood. I thought there was no way that I could completely l- drop all my nets and leave my boats and follow Jesus unless I were doing that as a priest and, and doing all my working hours, working to follow Jesus and to be a fisher of men. So that was that was the start of a really, I, I guess, a deeper relationship with just longing to follow Jesus and, and longing to follow his, his call. And then that led you to going to the seminary? Yes, at a, at a, at a, a tumultuous time of trying to figure out what God's really, will really was for me. I guess more accurately said, I had a tumultuous time trying to figure out if I was committed to following his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and work through this 
weeks of well, actually a months long process working with two different priests that were kind of helping me discern what, it, what God's will was for me. And, and I wasn't getting any closer to a decision. It, it, it's interesting. I hear this when I talk with seminarians or with priests about their vocation story, I hear dozens of versions of this same story that they fought it and fought it and fought it. And finally on a tearful night, sleepless night, finally came to the point of saying, Lord, I surrender to your, to your will, whatever it is. And then it was crystal clear. And then this deep sense of peace, even though it wasn't something that I felt like I really wanted to do, there was, there was a, um, a real peace about knowing that I didn't know if the priesthood was my destiny at that point, but I knew seminary was, and I was very much at peace with that. That's awesome. So what... What called you out of the seminary then? That's interesting too. My, my spiritual director was Father Gregory Chamberlain, a wonderful old Benedictine monk at St. Meinrad. And when I started to have second thoughts, he kept saying, make sure whatever leads you away from here is the same thing that led you here. Mm-hmm. And so I wrestled with my vocation the whole time I was at St. Meinrad. And finally, one day I was on retreat was off by myself in a chapel and, and really, truly got back to that point of saying, Lord, whatever your will is for me, I surrender to it. And again, that same peace, that same understanding that I was now being called away, that was very evident to me. And it was like, I, I, I was thinking, rats, now I kind of want to stay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very much at peace with, um, with being called away. And it, you know, it wasn't until another almost 12 years after that, that I had an inkling really of why I had been called to St. Meinrad in the first place. And, and that w- it was really there that I learned and cut my teeth on what real liturgical music. And uh, I certainly, my ministry here at Our Lady of Mount Carmel would not be the way it is had it not been for that experience at St. Meinrad. Father Dominic Young always used to talk about God God writes straight with crooked lines. <laughs> Follow him, you'll get from point A to point B, but it's never a straight line. <laughs> well, Rex, when you how did you know that Our Lady of Mount Carmel was the right place for you? Well, I had been in Europe. Uh, my wife and I had been in Austria for seven years, and um, our oldest son was born in Austria. And we kind of discerned that God was calling us back. We felt like he wanted our son should grow up knowing his grandparents and his cousins. And, and so I had written Christmas letters, I think, that year saying that we were coming back to the States. And my old seminary roommate, Father Kevin Haynes, who's now at St. Maria Goretti, he wrote me a letter in Vienna. And he said, hey, if you're coming back to the States, you ought to come check out this parish in Indiana. And so I did. I, came, I had come back to the States to do job interviews over spring break. And um, ended up at Our Lady of Mount Carmel for, of all things, Holy Saturday and the Easter Vigil. And I was sitting there at the Easter Vigil, and I saw this uh, choir up in the choir area and someone directing that choir. And this realization that this was, this was one of those mythical beasts that I had kind of heard about from my seminary buddies, but I never really knew exist, never really believed existed. And that was a Catholic parish where you could make a living out of being a music director. (laughs) (laughs) In my little farm parish in Illinois, there was no such thing. 
And more than that, though, it was this just overwhelming, that same thump in the chest that I had felt years before at Daily Mass in Springfield, Illinois. I, heard, I felt that at the Easter Vigil at Our Lady of Mount Carmel, like the Holy Spirit hit me full on saying, this is what I want you to be doing, and this is where I want you to do it. Wow. And at that time, Our Lady of Mount Carmel didn't have a job to offer. There was a music director here already, so I, I taught school for two, two years in Illinois. And my wife and I were literally a day away from buying, house, buying a land to build a house on. And Father Kevin called me and said, the music director had just uh, resigned. Would I still be interested? Uh, there you go. So we dropped our nets, left our boats, and uh, here we are 23 years later. And how lucky we are to have you yeah. at um, Our Lady. I'm beyond blessed to, uh, to have been here. You mentioned how God writes straight with crooked lines. And your, your faith journey has kind of taken you all over the place from seminary to Europe to back to here, but not quite yet here. You have to teach for two years. You know, you just had, have had to discern and be patient and kind of go through a lot of the ups and downs that the Lord's given you. And you and your wife experienced a lot of suffering when you lost your, your nine-year-old son. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that impacted your faith life? Yeah, Jacob was, uh, this was, we, we came to Our Lady Mount Carmel in 1997, and he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, bone cancer, on his uh, seventh birthday in 1999. So I'd only been here, you know, two years. And, and I have to kind of say, you know, Kathy and I both came from these little tiny farm parishes in Illinois. And, and we were really skeptical. The one thing we were skeptical about when we came here is we looked at Carmel and the area, and we kind of thought, this is a very affluent area. How deep can the spirituality really be with people who really have that mu this much in this world? And we were knocked off our, our arrogant high horse <laughs> when Jacob was sick. And the way that this parish... I'm tearing up just thinking about it. The way that this parish rallied together around him and around us was so humbling. And I've seen it happen over and over again with other families. And so that was a great spiritual lesson too, is that, hey, you know, rich people can really truly be very, very spiritual. And I never knew that before. I really didn't. And just person after person with such a deep spirituality and yet so successful in this world too. And that's, that's been a great lesson. The, the biggest lesson from Jacob's journey, however, has certainly been the cross of just what it's like to carry a very, very, very heavy cross and what that was like for him and what it was like for our whole family and his parents. But I'll go back to discipleship and say, you know, Jesus tells his disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave their boats and their nets behind and they follow him. But he also says, if you want to be my disciple, here's how you do it. You pick up your cross every day and follow me. And that's what we learned with Jacob's illness. You, you don't just pick up your cross sometimes and then put it down. It's day after day. You got to wake up put that cross on and, and, and follow him again. And as burdensome as that is, I think the great, one of the great lessons is that 
Jesus is, is carrying his, it's like we're Simon of Cyrene. We're helping Jesus carry his cross more than he's helping us carry ours. But that's that mutual, we can't do it without uh, walking with Jesus when carrying that cross. In kind of a weird way, with a heavy, heavy cross like this, I call it Jacob's double cross, really, of cancer and autism that he had to carry. That was something that we could withstand. Some ways, the harder things are the little crosses that are there every day. And one thing that I've tried to do is to embrace those crosses and say, okay, for whatever reason, this is the cross that's been chosen for me. And it's been chosen for me for a reason. And that therefore, it's not my job is not to shirk those crosses, but to rather to embrace them and take them up and follow Jesus with them every day. So trying to look at the cross as a gift, I guess, is the other big um, spiritual lesson from Jacob. Yeah. Wow. That's a beautiful okay. message, Rex. And one more, can't resist one more. And this is the other big one, is this intense longing for heaven. I, I guess, you know, some psychologists might say I've got a death wish now or something. I don't <laughs> think it's that. It's just that, you know, my son is, is I have the rare privilege as a parent of really believe my son died when he was nine, barely reached the age of reason. I have, you know, reason to believe that he is in heaven and that when I get there, uh, I'll get to see him again. And that, that creates a true longing. The, the thing I still have to work out is, uh, if I'm honest with myself, I think when I get to heaven, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Jacob more than seeing Jesus. And I know that's not quite right, but that's the truth of it. And I, I figure Jacob will be there and he'll introduce me to Jesus. There you go. Most likely. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, having a good holy longing for, for heaven is, you know, we see that through St. Paul, especially when he talks about it. I don't have the verse in mind, but it's there. <laughs> Yeah, that was well said. Thanks for sharing that and being vulnerable with us. Rex, what role does music and liturgy play in your relationship with Christ? I'd say I'll, I'll look at it in, in two different ways, in liturgy and in music. In music, I think it's, it's a case of, again, sort of whether I've chosen it or not, God has seen fit to give me this, this gift of making music and helping others make music which is really what a conductor does. A conductor tries to pull music out of others, not, not making, not himself. So for whatever reason, God seems to have given me that gift and my obligation and my joy as a Christian is to give that gift back to him. And just the fact to be able to do that in the context, like I said, of, a, of making a living doing it is, is an incredible, incredible privilege and responsibility. Uh, just, you know, it's my, my dream job. I can't imagine anything I'd love to do more except maybe play shortstop for the Cubs, but <laughs> one day ship has sailed. <laughs> oh man! And then in terms of the liturgy, what, what I always, the, the prayer that I pray before every mass and the prayer that I try to pray during mass is I look at the altar and I try to picture myself lying on that altar and just offering myself to God. And I pray the prayer of St. Ignatius, to take Lord, receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will, all that I have and possess, all that I have and call my own. 
to you, Lord, you have given everything to me and to you, Lord, I return it. And it goes on, but that's the, the gist of it is I try to offer uh, at every mass, whether I'm making music at that mass or not, try to offer myself on the altar for God to use as he will. Now I fall short on that every single day. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's one of the things I love about Catholic spirituality. It's not this one and done. I surrender to Christ and I'm good. It's every day you take up your cross every day. The church offers mass for us every day. We have the opportunity to offer ourselves on the altar every day, day in, day out. That's a beautiful prayer. Who is your, your biggest faith influencer? I'd have to go with my parents on that, both my parents, and in very different ways. My, my mom was a woman of action, and uh, you know, with raising 10 children on the farm and being very involved at church, it was very much faith in action. My dad was a former Franciscan friar. He had gone through high school and some college seminary with the Franciscans, had been with them for, for years, and had taken his simple vows, but before he took his solemn vows, he discerned that um, God was calling him elsewhere too. So he went back to the farm and uh, raised his 10 children. So dad was sort of a quiet, very strong, but very uh, quiet faith. And mom was the one of action. So hopefully I've inherited a little bit of something from both of them. And Rex, what keeps you salty in your faith? I, I think Probably number one would be that that sense of of trying to offer myself at mass every time I attend mass. And you know, a lot of times we can look at mass as okay. I go to the mass. I go to mass to receive the Eucharist, or I go to mass to hear the word of God. And all of that's very very true. But I think essentially what participating in the mass is participating in the Paschal mystery. And what is the Paschal mystery? Well, it's the action of Christ. It's Christ sacrificing himself on the cross. That's what he calls us to do, is to offer ourselves on the altar. And then we don't have to worry about what we're going to get out of the Mass. God takes care of that in spades if we're really offering ourselves to him. So that, that is what keeps me salty. Then the other thing, I think, is, is trying to remain uh, grounded in my vocation. So I, you know, I, I accepted long ago that my vocation was not to the priesthood. My vocation is to marriage and and to being a, a husband. And so I'm just very, very blessed to be have been married to Kathy for 32 years and to be have the great gift of being a father and, um, and the joy of already having one child in heaven that, uh, that I can keep praying for the other two. Well said. That's awesome. We usually do a call to action each week. And from how you stay salty, I think the biggest thing our call to action this week is I challenge you guys to go to one daily mass this week, whether it's at 6.30 a.m. or 8 p.m. or 5.15 somewhere else. Go to one daily mass before or after work this week. Rex, would you like to end us in a prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given it all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us, Rex. Thank you, Rex. Thanks for listening today and stay salty. Stay salty.